Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time in episode 67, we're going to discuss 10 van life myths, or are they? We're also going to talk about a Wi-Fi endoscope and some strange things you can use it for in your van, a place to visit involving a balloon, a bomb, and a forestry company, and a resource recommendation for plumbing parts. <laughs> wow, I've made that sound so exciting, but I promise you there's some good content in here. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in once again. I'm very happy to be here with you. I just got off the phone with Frank Otillo, the author of a few articles on Insider.com about van life that have gotten a lot of attention, some of which was negative. And I'm going to release that interview with him as a special episode this week after this one. So be on the watch for that. It's a good interview. Frank has some great insight on van life. And we have a talk about Nomadland at the end. I've also finally made that video about anxiety I was talking about. Now, if, if you listen to the podcast, you heard basically the audio portion of the video. The only reason to watch it on YouTube was if you wanted to hear me say those things while I'm also walking through the Indiana Dunes State Park. But that's not why you're here. You're here to hear me do this week's episode. And this week's episode is going to start with 10 Van Life Myths. Or are they? Let's talk about 10 topics in van life that are kind of misrepresented or not as obvious as they might be. Okay, number one. This is a big one. Van life can save you money. That has been presented as a myth, but it's also been presented as, this is the main reason I'm doing van life. So what's the truth? Well, the truth is, sure, you can save money doing van life, but it can also be really expensive. It's completely up to you. Just be realistic about it. Van life isn't free. Buying a van isn't the end of the expenses you will probably spend less money on your van than you would on rent or a mortgage, but not necessarily. I know some people will buy a brand new van for $45,000 and then have to pay the loan on that. And on top of that, you still get the maintenance and wear and tear and all that. And that ends up being about as expensive as rent in many cases. Gas isn't cheap. You've got campground fees if you do that. Tolls, entrance fees... Food costs more in a van because you have to buy it in smaller quantities. You can't actually go to Costco and buy the box of 100 packs of ramen for 12 cents. Although you could probably use the ramen as insulation if you needed to. So yes, van life can save you money, but you still have to watch how you spend that money or you'll go through it just as quickly as if you lived in an apartment or a house. Number two. Van life means always waking up on the beach. No, van life means waking up at 3 a.m. in Walmart because some drunk guy is taking a pee on the side of your van. Sometimes. Now, the truth is that people, when they show pictures of van life on Instagram or in magazines or whatever, they're showing their best moments. And some of them are fake, that's true. But you can actually do many of the things you see on Instagram but you have to work at them. There are amazing free campsites on beaches, on lakes, in the mountains, all over the world. Many of them will be very popular, and if you want to get that space, you have to get there early and then sit there 
until that glorious sunset that you want to photograph. Others will only allow you to be there during the day. For example, there are some images out there of my van on a beautiful beach with palm trees waving. That's a great spot. I love it there, but you can't spend the night there. You could, say, spend all day there and then drive to the Walmart two miles away and spend the night there. That's totally legit. You can have that Instagram van life, but it's in slices. It's in moments. It is not all the time. And when you're watching YouTube videos or Instagram or whatever, remember that, like this podcast, it is edited for your consumption. When I make a mistake or make some disgusting noise, you don't hear that because I edit it out. <laughs> but I promise you, it's still there. Number three, it's easy to make money remotely working in a van. Is that a myth? I would say the easy part is a myth. If you have a job that you can do remotely, you can do it in a van. And it may not be that difficult depending on what your job is. For example, I knew a lawyer whose job it was to review tests for a lawyer prep course. That kind of a job would be fairly easy to do in a van. But if you have the kind of job where you need to be online all the time, especially a job where you need to be on a video call much of the day, that can be very challenging. Not only do you have the expenses of the internet, you will eat up those gigabytes very quickly. You also have the accessibility of the internet. Lately, the last few places I've stayed out there, I've had one bar of service. And let me tell you, that is the worst state to be in. I'd rather have zero bars because one bar gives you the impression that you're connected to the internet and you can do things. But then when you try to, it doesn't work or it will partially work. You'll try to upload something and it'll go to 95% and then just stick there. Drives me crazy. So it isn't easy and you absolutely have to do some test runs and figure it out for yourself before you totally commit. Number four, having a dog is essential for van life. I know when a lot of people watched the movie Nomadland, that scene with the dog really angered a lot of people and made them turn away from the movie. Someone in the movie decides not to take a dog. You always take the dog. You can't be in van life without a dog. And surely, if you look at Instagram or watch the YouTube channels, you will see lots of dogs in vans. But there's no dog in my van. And that scene in Nomadland didn't really bother me. It's not that I don't like dogs, and it's not that I don't think dogs can be valuable companions in a van. I absolutely think they can. They're also great security. But there are other sides to dogs, too. There's something to take care of. They take up space in the van. Their stuff takes up space in the van. They're an expense. And they're a problem when you want to, say, go hiking in a national park because dogs aren't allowed. Or when you have to go do something and it's really hot and you can't bring the dog. Like a doctor's appointment, for example. What do you do? There are reasons not to have a dog in the van. In fact, I recommend that if someone is starting out in van life, they don't bring pets with them until they've sorted it out. That isn't always practical, I know. So you can do van life without a pet and it's fine. Number five, van life is lonely. Well, it can be, certainly. If you're a solo van dweller and you're out there traveling by yourself, you can be pretty lonely. 
But you're also in a van that has wheels. That means you can drive someplace to be with other people if you want. There are lots of van life communities out there that you can find on Instagram and Facebook. People are always asking about meetups. You only have to be as lonely as you want to be. Ultimately, there's a reason why van life appealed to you in the first place. And if you're the kind of person that wants to live in a house with seven people, you're probably not listening to me right now. So like everything, it's a balance. We also have social media these days. And believe it or not, even though you're not in person with people, social media can alleviate loneliness. Heck, just in built to go We've got a built to go group. We've got a built to go Discord channel. There's someone in there almost all the time that you can chat with. Loneliness is ultimately up to you. If you're in a van and you feel lonely, do something about it. Number six, living in a van is the same as being homeless. Eh. All right, first, this is a sensitive issue. There are a lot of people living in vans who are there not by their choice. They would be counted among the homeless in any kind of federal statistical survey. And there's an awful lot of people living in vans because they want to. And these two groups come into conflict. But if somebody says you're homeless, what do you do with that? You know, it's their definition. Do you have to adopt it? No. A common response is, I'm not homeless, I'm houseless. The van is my home. That won't satisfy them, but it is probably true. If you're living in a van by your own choice, you have chosen that as your house. Now, there are legal issues that come up, like you don't pay property taxes, you're not helping to pay for all these civil services that you're taking advantage of, etc., etc., etc. That's the kind of philosophical stuff that everybody living in a van has to think about. But you're only homeless if you consider yourself to be homeless. It's as simple as that. Number seven, van life is eco-friendly. Ooh, that's a touchy one. First off, People are eco-friendly or they're not, and there's actually no set definition for eco-friendly, but in a van you have control over how much stuff you use and what stuff you use and what you do with it. So you can certainly have a more eco-friendly environment than other people, but in the end you're living in a van, which is ultimately less eco-friendly than if you were living in an apartment. Living in a small apartment is probably the most eco-friendly way you can live. Just because of scale, you're taking up less land, you're sharing walls with other heated spaces, so you're using fewer resources there, there's public transit nearby often, etc., etc., etc. So, while van life can be fairly eco-friendly, it's never going to be the most eco-friendly, and like many of these things, it's ultimately up to you. Number eight, van life folks are friendly and kind. Well, van life folks are people, and people in groups are people, and I have learned this lesson a lot lately. Not everybody living in a van is kind, or has the same goals as you, or has the same values as you. I've seen this in pretty ugly fashion on Facebook lately, when someone from a marginalized group asked if anyone knew of a Facebook group that they could join, and they were attacked simply for being who they are. Why are you trying to be divisive? Blah, blah, blah. And it was interesting because the thread basically illustrated the reason why folks from this group might want to have their own group. And that group wouldn't be separate. It would just be another group. They'd still be in the big group as well. So, yeah, just because you see someone living in a van doesn't mean they're going to be friendly or someone you want to talk to or even park next to. And that's just a reality. But... 
That said, you are going to run into more like-minded people than not because there is a special kind of person that is doing this, and that is definitely a plus. So it's a two-edged sword, but I think one side is probably bigger than the other. Number nine, stealth is a myth. I think the myth here is that stealth is a myth, and I think it's because people mistake what stealth is. I've talked about this before, but people... You know, you say stealth, and they're thinking of an F-117 stealth fighter that's invisible to radar. That's not what we're trying to do here, and that's not what stealth is. Stealth is not being invisible. Stealth is being ignorable. Van life people know what vans look like. They see that Max Air fan, they see that little port on the side, they see the extra exhaust pipe under there, or the condensation in the front window. They know someone's living in there. And the cops know too. But if you make your van innocuous and you're not a nuisance, you can stealth. You can fly under the radar and people won't hassle you. If you pull up in your giant RV with the slide outs and you set out your chairs and barbecue in the Walmart parking lot, yeah, you're going to be noticed and you're ruining it for the rest of us. So I don't think stealth is a myth. I do think you should place your comfort over stealth, but stealth still has a lot of value. And number 10, van life solves problems. Van life is life. You're going to have problems. Some of those problems are going to come with you. Some of them you might be able to help with van life. What van life enables you to do is have a mobile lifestyle. You can move around. That's basically what it is. And if that helps you with whatever problem you're having, then yes, van life can help. But if your problems are something else, van life isn't going to help. And because there's that word life in there, it's still life. It's still going to have all the problems of life. So don't fool yourself that... Oh, when I get my van, everything's going to be better. Some things will be better. You might be able to do things that you've always wanted to do, but you're still going to be living life. You're still going to be having some of those old problems follow you. And sad to say, there are going to be new problems that you haven't even thought of. Well, there's 10 myths. If you know of one that I didn't address and you'd like to talk about it, let me know. You can reach me at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. Tech Talk. Hey, let's talk about hail. Like hail, you know, like frozen ice pellets that come from the sky and have like onion-like layers because they've been going up and down in thunderheads and getting layers of ice until they're too heavy and then they fall and they hit your van and your solar panels. What do we do about this? I'm in the Midwest. We have hailstorms all the time. And one of our cars got hit pretty hard with hailstorms and it looked like a golf ball. It had little dents all over it and... It's one of these cosmetic things that's annoying, that, but it doesn't really affect how the vehicle works. But it does actually cost you money because your vehicle has been lowered in value because of this. And sometimes hailstorms can be so bad that they'll break your windows. But those are remarkably rare, and we're not going to address that. So the first thing I want to address is your solar panels. People are terrified that hail is going to break their solar panels because they're glass. They're covered in a layer of glass, so that makes sense. But that layer of glass is tempered glass. It's very strong. And the truth is that the metal skin of your van is at much higher risk to hail than your solar panels. Also, if your solar panels do get smashed by hail, they're cheaper to replace than the metal underneath. Fixing the dents in your van from hail 
cost more than replacing the solar panels. So you can stop worrying about the solar panels. If anything, they're protecting your roof, and that's a good thing. As for the dents, well, there's really not much you can do about it. If you know there's a hailstorm coming, which in most cases you won't, you can go try to find a self-service car wash and pull in there. You can try to find a drive through or a parking garage if you've got a short enough van to fit in there. I mean, those are obvious choices. If you're, fi- if, you've, if you're out in the open and you don't know what else to do, you can actually try to cover your van. You can take your bed sheets and comforter and put them over your van. If you have one of those blue tarps, you can put that over your van. Anything like that can help. Yeah, you're going to be out there in the hail trying to do this, and if it's windy, which it usually is, it's not easy. But you might save yourself a lot of damage from this. To give you some perspective... I had a car that I parked under an oak tree, and it was hit by acorns. Now, acorns aren't hail, but the damage is very similar. To repair the dents on that car from acorns from one fall is $4,000, because each dent is like a separate incident, and they treat them all separately. So, yeah, be afraid of hail. Watch the weather. Don't let it hit your van if you have a choice. But if it does hit your van, realize that the solar panels are the least of your worries. I don't, I don't know that I've made anyone feel better with that or not. Tales from the road. So, the knock. We know about the knock. We dread the knock. Somebody knocks on your window and makes you move or worse. We get it. We try to avoid it. This is my story of the one knock I have heard in my van. It was 2019, I was on my Visit Every Aurora in the United States tour, and I was in Maine. And I had just visited Aurora, Maine, and I was heading north to Canada. Because, believe it or not, from northern Maine, the shortest way to Chicago is actually through Canada. And I thought it would be a nice drive, and yeah, gas is more expensive, but, you know, it's Canada. Canada's fun. I was going to go check it out. As I'm driving through northern Maine, and I wasn't quite ready to enter Canada yet, I was looking for a place to stay, and it was the hottest it has ever been in Maine. It was like record-setting. But I did find a great place. It was the parking area of an Appalachian Trail entrance, because the Appalachian Trail goes all the way up to northern Maine, Baxter State Park area. And uh, it was it was a great place to park. I was in the woods. It was very nature And there were a lot of other cars there, so I felt like this was a safe place to park. And I really wasn't too worried about anyone coming and bothering me. Because it was hot, I had the doors propped open a bit, and I had all the fans going and everything. So if someone came close to the van, they'd know I was in there. But I didn't worry too much about that. I went to sleep, and uh, about 11 o'clock at night, I was woken up because there was an owl hooting near my van. And I'm thinking, okay, that's actually kind of cool. But then around 3 in the morning, I heard this. And I woke up, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, this parking area was right next to a highway, and I hadn't heard a car go by all night long. And somehow someone rolled up on me and was knocking on my van, and I didn't hear them. I'm a very light sleeper. That seemed very odd. And so I sat up, and the thing about knocking is, if they knock and you don't answer they're going to knock again. So I was waiting for that. And I turned off the fans and I couldn't hear anything. Like I couldn't hear an engine running. 
I didn't see any lights on outside. So if somebody was knocking on my van, they were just out there in the dark. And that meant it wasn't a cop. So I got a little concerned. And I was thinking, it might be in my best interest not to answer this knock. After all, if it's not the cops, whoever it is, I don't really care about. And so I sat there for about 20 minutes, didn't hear anything else, and finally decided that either they wandered off or they... I, I really didn't have an answer. All I knew is that I was going to go back to sleep. So I put the fans back on and went to sleep. In the morning, I got up. Beautiful summer morning in Maine. Just gorgeous air and the trees. I mean, it was really awesome. One of these Instagram van life moments. It was one of those. They do exist. And I looked around the van and there weren't any footprints and there was no note. And I was like, wow, who knocked on my van in the middle of the night? And, you know, we could start making up some Bigfoot stories here or something. But I found out who was knocking on my van in the middle of the night as I looked on the roof and found a pine cone about the size of my fist. And it had fallen off a pine tree in the middle of the night, landed on the roof once, and then bounced and sat there. So, yeah, I have experienced the knock, and it was a pine cone. product review. This is weird, but I think it could be kind of cool. I bought an endoscope on Amazon. I'll have a link in the show notes as always. If you're not familiar with what an endoscope is, lucky you. That means it means you haven't spent too much time in the doctor's office. An endoscope is a long, thin, I guess you'd call it a wire with a camera on the end and you can use it to explore orifices. Uh, it's kind of what's in a it's what they use in a colonoscopy or also to like look and see if there's something wrong with your stomach or anyway these things have gotten so cheap that they sell them like for everybody now i mean it's only 30 dollars, and it's this big long wire with a box at the end and you connect your phone to it via wi-fi and you have this little snake cam and it comes with a magnet and a hook. And the idea is that you would use it to like look down drains. If you'd like drop your ring down a drain, you could use this to get your ring. Or if you had a clog, you could go see what it was. And I'm thinking about all the different ways this could be used for van life. One thing is, well, obviously you could use it to check your drain and all that kind of stuff in your van. Or if you drop something behind a cabinet, you could use this to actually see down there and kind of hook it up. In my van, there's space behind the cabinets that's very narrow. If I drop something back there, it would be super hard to get it out. So I think the endoscope could be good there. But there's one other weird use for it that would actually work. And that is as a security camera. And you could do this in two different ways. Because it works on Wi-Fi, you could leave it outside the van somewhere. Say, wrapped around a tree branch that was pointing at your van. And then from inside the van, you could hit it via Wi-Fi and see your van. And that way, if there was someone messing around with your van, you'd see it. Now, I don't know if the battery life is long enough to make this practical or if you can hook up a longer battery to it or whatever, but it's an intriguing idea. The other thing you can use it for is if you get the knock, like I just talked about, you could actually point the little camera, and this thing is tiny, it's the size of a pencil eraser, through a curtain 
and look out the windows or look into the front of the van and you could see if there was anything there. Next time I go out, which is this weekend, I'm going to bring this thing with me and see if I can find some interesting things to do with it. But that aside, all the uses for it, uh, the re- my review is that, hey, this thing works pretty darn well. It's a generic Chinese product. It has many different brand names, but it wasn't hard to set up. It works really well with my iPhone and the camera quality is actually pretty good. The focal point of this thing is maybe a foot from the lens, but even if you just point it into the room, you can see things well enough to make out what's going on. You're not going to be taking high quality pictures with this, but if you wanted to look to see if someone was approaching your van, you would totally see them. So again, link in the show notes, the Wi-Fi endoscope. It's a strange thing to have in a van, but it might be a good thing. A place to visit. I have not been to this place. It is on my list of places to visit. But first, I have to get my butt to Oregon, which is very far away. However, it's one of my favorite states, and I am going to go there again. I don't know when. Oregon has a strange history. Oregon, when it was first founded, didn't allow black people in the state, for one thing. They, they fixed that problem, mostly. Oregon also is the site of one of two bombings of U.S. citizens during World War II, and the only one where American citizens were killed during World War II. The other bombing site is Boyce, Oklahoma. They claim to be the only one, but they're not technically right. They were accidentally bombed by a U.S. bomber, and and no one was injured. But they were bombed by a U.S. bomber. The story at the Mitchell Recreation Area is is much stranger. There's this thing called the jet stream. It is a, a stream of air way up in the atmosphere that airplanes take advantage of all the time. But the Japanese knew about it in World War II, even though the U.S. didn't. And some incredibly clever guy thought about inventing balloons that would float up into the jet stream, which blows straight from Japan to the United States, and have these balloons carry bombs. And when the balloons got to the U.S., they would descend and start fires or explode or whatever. They had all these different scenarios. And they did launch hundreds of these balloons. Many of them did reach the U.S., which is super impressive. But there was one tragic case where a balloon landed in a park in Bly, Oregon, and it was found by a family and some kids during an outing, and sadly it exploded and killed several of them. It, it was a very tragic event, and today you can actually go and visit the site and still see some of the damage the bomb caused on the trees. But more importantly, there's a memorial there. The Japanese people sent over a thousand paper cranes to apologize, basically, for this event, and also some cherry trees that are planted on the site. And the man who invented the bomb itself, that actual guy, sent the families of the deceased a personal apology, which is kind of amazing. This is a place to visit. You will want to research the story yourself. I'll have a link in the show notes. But it's a nice monument to a strange moment in history and also one that invokes healing. And I I think those are, are pretty rare. So it's on my list and maybe it should be on yours too. Resource recommendation. I found a great website called RecPro, R-E-C-P-R-O, and they sell basically RV plumbing parts, but they have 
all types of little doors and trim pieces and all these little kind of annoying parts that you want for your van that you just can't find anywhere. Now, they're an RV dealer, right? So they're, they're focused on RVs, but that's okay because we use a lot of the things that RVs use. So they carry windows and awnings and roofing supplies and water tanks and ice fishing gear and all this kind of stuff. But the stuff I'm the most excited about are these little itty bits of hardware, like doors and little decorative screws and gas struts and these kind of things that can be a little bit tricky to find. They also have little door catches, like if you open a door, this thing will catch the door and hold on to it. Basically all the stuff that's hanging off the side of an RV that we could use if we could find it. Well, I think we found it. Check it out. It's recpro.com. I'll have a link in the show notes. And no, I'm not sponsored by them or anything. I just think it's a good resource for finding some of these hard-to-find parts. Thanks for listening to this episode 67. Remember, I've got that interview with Frank Otillo coming up later this week. You'll want to check that out. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg, and you can find us on Facebook at built to go a Facebook group, and we have our own Discord server. Guess what? built to go a Discord server. Until next time, remember what Ellen Parr said. The cure for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity.